His shaved hair was beginning to grow back, a few millimetres of black stubble blurring the outline of his skull. My finger hovered over the panic button under my desk. You're two days late, Darren. Dr. Chadder was expecting you on Tuesday. It's you I need to see, he mumbled, to say thanks for not dobbing me in. I owe you one. The only thing you owe me is to stop using your fists. He stared back at me with an odd, fixed gaze. You're different from the rest, aren't you? How do you mean? You did me a favour. I look after people like you. The smile had disappeared from Darren's face. He seemed to be growing more agitated, his mouth opening, then closing again, as if the power of speech was deserting him. I was about to press the panic button when he crossed the room. I stood up to defend myself, and time flicked into slow motion. It felt like I had hours to study the spider's web tattoo spinning across his neck. When his fingertips brushed my hand, they felt unnaturally hot, and his face was so close I could see the sharp line between his pupils and dark irises. Nothing's gonna hurt you again, he whispered. I promise. Darren disappeared as quickly as he'd arrived. My legs were still trembling, but the only thing he'd left behind was the smell of panic and unwashed clothes. I got the sense that he wanted my help, even if he was incapable of asking for it. The next step would be getting him to agree to a diagnostic meeting. I typed his name into my computer and scanned his record. Darren Campbell, twenty years old, unemployed. He was sent to a Roman Catholic children's home when he was nine, after his mother died. His father's identity was unknown. Then he'd spent a year in Feltham for assaulting someone outside a pub. The victim was in a coma for weeks, but Darren had shown no remorse. He claimed that the man had raped a girl he knew. He was only getting what he deserved. I glanced at the bottom of the report. His address was the city YMCA. Shorthand for no fixed abode. I could picture the building on Fan Street close to Barbican Tube. A featureless box of concrete, studded with minute windows with no trees in sight. It was hard to imagine anyone flourishing in there. I turned off my computer and stared out of the window. No wonder he was disturbed. His past had convinced him that the best way to deal with unfairness was to use his fists, and I could understand why. Watching Will suffering often left me desperate to punch a wall. At lunchtime I dragged myself out of the building to a Turkish cafe on Borough High Street. Lola was there already, tucking into a plate of falafel. She had the sleek look of a pampered cat as she savoured each mouthful, and I felt glad I hadn't cancelled our lunch, even though I had a million things to do. Darren had cast a shadow over my morning, but he wasn't going to spoil my afternoon. You've got news, haven't you? He's perfect, but he's a bit young. She took a gulp of orange juice. He's nineteen. Bloody hell, Lo! A teenager! She looked embarrassed for a second, then released a peal of laughter that bounced off the cafe walls. He's called Neil, and he's adorable. Knowing my luck, he'll dump me for a buxom sixteen-year-old. She waxed lyrical about her toy boy, then turned her attention to the reason why I was single. The trouble is, you've forgotten how to flirt, haven't you?
Honestly, Lo, I'm not even looking. One smile and blokes are on their knees. Go on, try it on that waiter over there before you lose your powers. I gave her an imploring look, but she wouldn't give up. The tall one by the door. Give him the full force of your charm. Once I'd made eye contact, the rest was easy, because he broke the ice and smiled first. For a moment, the pain from my injury disappeared completely. Lola patted my hand. That wasn't so tough, was it? I bet you've made his day. Rubbish. He probably grins non-stop to get bigger tips. She entertained me with details of her sex life while I sipped my bitter Turkish coffee. At least she was...